Built Not Born, episode 114. Hey everyone, it's Joe Chicarone. One of the really cool things about having a podcast is being invited on other people's podcasts. Today's episode is when I was the guest of Dr. Kara Uwe on her podcast called The Decode Project. Dr. Kara Uwe is a sleep specialist out of Toronto, Canada. She's a psychiatrist. She is a sleep specialist. Kara is also the host of the Decode Project, where they talk about all things sleep and how to go about change when change is difficult and when change is needed. Kara and I recorded this episode over the summer, and uh, she was gracious enough to allow me to share it with you as a Built Not Born episode. So Kara, if you're listening, thank you very much. You rock. Really, really uh, like this hour Kara and I spent together. We covered so much ground. Kara does an amazing job distilling the core themes that we speak about here on the podcast. We talk about essentialism, focus, dancing with fear, the art of selling. Uh, Kara and I come into this conversation with completely different perceptions of salespeople and the role that sales plays in everyone's life. I was lucky enough to get Dr. Uwe on Built Not Born twice over the last two years. She was episode 10 called The Art of Sleep, which turned out to be one of the most downloaded and shared episodes of Built Not Born. Then about a year later, uh, she came back and we did a deep dive on insomnia, which is another highly downloaded episode. What I'll do is I'm going to put both of Dr. Uwe's past episodes in the show notes. So if you or know anyone that has trouble sleeping, please do them a favor and share those episodes with them. Dr. Uwe provides a ton of value with tips and ideas that are medically based to help them get a good night's sleep. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. We have the next wave of interviews about to launch. So excited to bring you these conversations with some amazing people with amazing lives and stories to tell. Hit that follow button so you get the latest episode when it drops. So I appreciate you listening. And remember, life is built not born. You have to sell your kids the idea of brushing their teeth at night when they're three years old. You have to sell your kids the idea that, hey, you might have to start eating healthier. You're selling ideas constantly. This is Dr. Kara Uwe, and I'm the creator of Decode Insomnia. In the Decode Project, we talk about the strategies, frameworks, and insights to make the biggest difference when it comes to making a difficult change. In my work as a sleep physician and youth psychiatrist, I've discovered that sleep is a great place to start. Hello and welcome. In this episode, I'm bringing you a conversation that I had with my friend, Joe Chicarone, who is a number of different things. He is in sales. He's also a father of three, and he is also a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And originally, the reason why I wanted to have Joe on the show has to do with the fact that he's in sales, and you'll hear us talk about this, but I recently realized that I have really avoided learning anything about sales because I've always had this very negative association. And again, I speak more to this in the episode, but I've realized there's a lot to learn about change from sales. And so I wanted to dig more into some of the principles and insights and frameworks with Joe to continue building out this toolkit for change that I'm trying to create with this podcast. 
Now, of course, we end up talking about a lot of other things, and Joe shares so many helpful insights about change, drawing from his experiences as a podcast host, a blogger, a father, and a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I'm going to keep this pretty short, and this was a little bit inspired by Joe because you'll hear us talk about in the episode how, as a podcaster, because he's also a podcast host, he only allows himself to record his intros twice, and then he just moves on. So I definitely do not record things twice. I tend to really get bit by the perfectionist bug when recording these podcasts. So I'm actually taking this as a little challenge to just get it done quickly so I have time for other things. And I'm also not going to record anything at the end because actually Joe does a great job at summarizing the key points that we cover in this episode. If you're interested in learning more about Joe and his work, I'm going to link to everything in the show notes. He has a podcast called Built Not Born, and I had the pleasure of being a guest on that podcast on two occasions. He also has a YouTube channel and a blog, and I will also link to his social media accounts. So Joe, if you're listening to this, you'll be proud of me. I actually only recorded this once. So let's jump in. Welcome, Joe. Thank you so much for being here. I thought just to kick things off, I want to talk a little bit about how we met and then also I think the role you've played in my life. You and I met in that podcasting workshop and from the get-go, you've always been a cheerleader. You constantly are pushing me to do things that I've felt uncomfortable to do. And I, I wonder, I'm curious, we'll get into it, if that's been your role in other areas in your life. The other thing is that you're just such an example. Like you got out there and you're now on your 100th episode, I think, right? And I think that's really spurred me on. Like you've done a lot of things where I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that too. So I'm curious, you know, that role of cheerleader and being an example for others, is that, would you say, is there a common thread there in terms of all these things, all these different roles that you have? First off, honor to be on the show. Thank you for having me. And yeah, thanks for noticing that I always needed encouragement. Like I was never the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, the smartest. Like, it, you know, I was always either like mid-level, like I was always mid in what I did. And I always needed someone to push me ahead. Like, hey, you can keep going. I got like that encouragement kept me going. Like, like I would show up and get beat and I would show up and get beat. And I would show up and be average. And I'm like, wow, I have to keep rolling. And then in most of that's 99% of that's within, but there's that 1% where you're like, oh, I don't feel like doing this or, oh, well, I don't know if this is for me. Then someone would put their arm around you or say, you know what? I think you got something here. Like, or they would whisper some encouragement into my ear and say, listen, you look like me 10 years ago. I had someone tell me that you you remind me of me 10 years ago. Don't stop. You're, you have a future in this. And I had that in martial arts. I had that in sales. I had that in business. And it's not fake. Like, I'm not going to encourage someone who's horrible. Like, I'll maybe have a conversation, like, maybe this isn't for you, but someone that's got the grind, someone who's got like some sort of like ability and aptitude, and there's something there. Like, I will keep pushing them. And, and, and especially if, if I have a close relationship with that person, I won't let them quit, or at least I'll, I'll encourage them till they, till they take that next step. Cause you know, it's like, you take a step, you take a step, you're like, it's not for me. Then sometimes what the, the breakthroughs after the sixth or seventh step, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you do it once and you got it, or you do it four times, like with jujitsu or sales, you might have to call a client five, six times to break that access barrier to see that customer. Or in jujitsu, I might have to practice the move 50 times before I'm like somewhat able to do it on someone bigger than me. And mm-hmm. so like to think you're going to quit after the third or fourth time, and that, that all come from within, but you need that person on the side for encouraging and not just encouragement, but some coaching. Does that make sense? And to keep mm-hmm. them going and give them the, give them the courage not to go for the next 20 years, but to take the next step. 
Because mm-hmm. all you could do is take the next step, the next step. And if you just keep taking the next step, you got the whole career and life ahead of you, right? Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, when I hear your voice, that's you saying, just keep going. <laughs> that's that's what you say to me constantly. Yeah. Absolutely. Which has been so helpful. Yeah. So I'm curious about your work in sales. So when I say the word sales, to be honest, to be very frank, I initially have that reaction that I think, unfortunately, sales you know gets a bad rep, but that yeah. kind of sleazy reaction to sure. it, right? And for the yeah. longest time, I mean, I come from a very different world. I really didn't know what sales was other than a very cursory understanding and had that negative association with it. But I'm now understanding a bit more about sales and am realizing that there are so many translatable skills that you learn and you drill by being in sales in terms of helping people to make decisions, understanding problems that people have, and helping them see the value and the solutions that you can provide and help them get to the point of being able to essentially move forward, right? Mm -hmm. Move forward with the decision. So I would love to hear more about what got you into sales? Because my understanding is that you had a very, you had a different career before going to sales. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for noticing that. I was actually an accountant for a radio station here in Philadelphia. Hmm. And they basically said, the GM came to me like one time and said, uh, we like you, we want you to work here, but I think you're in the wrong department. And you should be on the other side of the building in the sales room. You should, Hmm. you're not an accountant. I think you're better for sales. Anyway, I, I switched over sales. And literally, I was I don't know, 24, 25, switched over to sales, and I woke up, and I'm not a high-anxiety person at all. Got a lot of problems, but anxiety is not one of them. And I would wake up, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm literally jumped into a sales. I'm an accountant through training, through, through college. I don't know the first thing about selling anything to anyone. Hmm. And so that definitely got me on the road of reading courses. At the time, there were cassette tapes or CDs buying books, going to live courses. And I literally went through my own little version of a university of learning how Mm -hmm. to sell. And I took that mindset into this day, like still books, courses, live, a lot of them are digital now, obviously. But I, I, my inclination of learning and knowing that I got to keep getting better is still there. Like I'm constantly evolving. Like I know I'm not a finished product and I know I have holes in, in all sorts of my life. And I keep trying to throw people that know more than me ideas into me. So anyway, mm-hmm. that's how I got into sales. That I guess that, that answers your first question. But you mentioned something, rewind a couple moments ago, when you were describing sales, you said sometimes it has a, a, a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you think of what the car salesman, right? And just For, to actually sorry to interrupt, Joe, yeah. just to give you a bit more context, because yeah. I don't know if you know this, but you know, I'm a, I'm a physician working in a, health, a public healthcare system. So so that really, I think also is relevant, right? I don't the idea of selling anything immediately evokes a very, very uncomfortable feeling in me. Okay. But I've realized we're selling things all the time, right? Yeah. We're selling our kids on certain ideas. We're selling ourselves on certain ideas. So I think sales can take a much broader yeah. definition and the same principles and frameworks that I think are probably very helpful in sales are very helpful in all other, all other aspects of life. You hit it on those. To me, sales and, or selling and leadership are our cousins because we are all in sales and everyone, no matter your role in life, surgeon general, surgeon, psychiatrist, truck driver, we're sales and we're leaders. We can lead from any level of the organization. Everyone's a leader. You, you lead your family, you lead your team. If you're a, a part of a, a truck driving crew, you could be, you could organize, if you organize anything or have influence, you're a leader. 
But getting back to sales, you said you have to sell your kids the idea of brushing their teeth at night when they're three years old, flossing their teeth at night. You have to sell your kids the idea that like, hey, you might have to start eating healthier. You're selling ideas constantly. So I find the most successful salespeople are there helping. They're not trying to manipulate. They're not trying, like, if you think of the old school salesperson as I think the, the, the negative connotation that, that you brought up earlier, where it's like the salesperson has more knowledge than you do about maybe what the, may say it's go car salesman, what the car's worth, how much it would retail for, what they could get it at another lot. You have all this like hidden information in your head and you're trying to persuade them to do something that they wouldn't normally do if you both knew the same information, correct? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. sleazy. So that's, that's not what professional selling is about. Professional selling is about helping. You can... Help them in a way where you both win, where you basically present ideas and knowledge to them to help them accomplish what they're trying to do, and you mm-hmm. both win. So when, when they both meld together, it's a win-win. I think selling at its highest level and selling at like the right level where you're, you're, you're trying to help people accomplish what they're doing and get them to a place they wouldn't be if they didn't interact with you. Right. Yeah. Two Two ideas that I think have really stuck with me is often there's also this idea that people just don't know that there's a solution, right? So, so you are, you are bringing them a solution that they just, that they had no idea about. And so that's part of your role. And then the other thing is that often when people are faced with a decision of purchasing something or moving forward, people get very stuck, Mm -hmm. right? There's that paralysis or want to push things off. And so one of the roles I think in sales is that you're helping people get unstuck and move forward with a decision, whether it's a yes or a no, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter, right? But helping them to have some closure around that decision, which I think is a real skill, right? Yeah. So like mm-hmm. we're all in, we're all leaders and we're all in sales, no mm-hmm. matter, no matter how much you like hearing that you, but that someone likes to hear that or not, everyone's a salesperson. Cause if you're not, your idea and influence is low. If you can't sell an idea, Selling an idea is influence. If you have no influence, you're not a leader. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the obvious one that immediately comes to mind is, as you know, I work a lot with teens and I work a lot with the parents, right? So I'm always talking to parents about how the very first thing you need to do is you need to work, you need to have influence before the tactics. So Joe, I just thought about this idea of going back to you being a cheerleader and the idea of needing that other person to help you just move forward, right? When you really don't want to. And I think, again, if anybody is, when people are faced with a quote unquote sale, human nature is to not want to change, oh, right? Yeah. Not want to move forward. And so it is often about having somebody who's going to help guide you and move you forward. And so I can see how your work in sales completely maps onto, maps onto your strength of being a oh, Thank you. So I was curious, what would you say are the top skills or things that you've learned from being in sales that have had the biggest influence for you? I think that it starts off with with sales is you have to find the right customer. Let's just say you're a financial advisor, but there you no know, a financial advisor is not going to go to a 12-year-old kid and say, hey, do you want a financial plan? It's a bad customer. It's not, you can be the best financial advisor in the world. It's not going to work. Asking very good open-ended questions that can't be answered with yes, no, or one word that makes the person stop, think, and give an emotionally engaging answer. And then you kind of sketch out the CR, how can I help this person? So you ask questions, you listen, 
You don't make any judgments whatsoever. You don't cut anybody off. You empathize with them and then wait till they're done speaking. Then say, hey, I have a couple ideas I might want to run by you. Would you be interested in hearing them? That may help you in the situation you're in. Sure. Then you got buy-in, you got agreement and just slowly lay out option after option. Hey, here's a possible way for us to walk this. We could probably take a step in this direction. Would you be interested? If not, like, cool. I appreciate your honesty. What's holding you back? What's stopping you from taking that first step? And then maybe there's even a bigger issue that you can address or, or, or help with. So it's just like a lot of questions, a lot of listening, note-taking, empathizing, and figure out how what you do in your little world, your little silo, how you can help them accomplish what they want to accomplish in their their life, their professional, personal life. Mm-hmm. To me, that's sales. And like that's that's just the hardest sales. That's sales one-on-one basically right yeah. there. It sounds like it's it's a very collaborative approach. It's so collaborative. collaborating. Yeah. If it's not collaborating, there's a bu- it's either bullying or the other person on the other side, the customer's not buying it. They're not sold that either they need help or mm-hmm. that you're the one to help them. And right. and then you know, a good salesperson will figure out either this isn't the right customer for me, mm-hmm. or this person just doesn't think they need this. Not everyone's going to be your customer, if that makes sense. Yes. There's so much parallel here between what you do and what I do. So as you know, I do a lot of clinical work with teens who have insomnia, sleep time issues, other common you know, behavioral sleep issues. And it's very common that I meet with teens, even if there are a lot of costs, right? Even, even though the sleep issue is an issue for their parents or for other people in their lives, if they don't perceive it as a problem then me continuing to make suggestions, even talk about sleep is incredibly counterproductive. And this whole idea of choosing the right customer has been a really interesting one for me because that's not how it works in healthcare, right? We don't have customers. We see everybody who comes in the door and we do the best we can in terms of helping everybody who comes in the door. But it also means that a certain intervention that I have, like I have a program for insomnia, is just not going to be the right fit for some people. It's just not meeting them where they're at, right? So yeah. my my solution to this has been to build different things. Like, so I have videos that people can watch when they're ready to watch them. And I do exactly the same thing that you just described. I say, when you're ready, you come back. And I'm, and yeah. I'm so happy to work with you at that point. But at this point, I just try to call it and say, I, this actually, I don't think is going to be helpful for you. Obviously in a very compassionate way, which I, it sounds like you do as well, but Right at that point, it, it it doesn't make any sense to keep on going down that path if if both people don't want to. Here's one with Seth Godin. Seth told a story once. He's a vegetarian, and there was this awesome restaurant that opened up in New York City, and they had these awesome Brussels sprouts, but they had bacon in them. It was like sprinkled with bacon, mm-hmm. and he went in there two, three times, and like I'll take the Brussels sprouts, no bacon. Charge me full price. I just don't want the bacon. And after like the third time, the person came over, the owner's like, we love you here, Seth. It's an honor to serve you, but we're not a vegetarian restaurant. Yeah. We make these with bacon because there's a great vegetarian place two blocks down that'll give you all the Brussels sprouts you want without bacon. He goes, we put bacon in our Brussels sprouts. Like mm-hmm. we're not a good restaurant for you. And he's mm-hmm. like, I so appreciated that. And he moved yeah. on. Like I, that's, I'm not, they're not a vegan restaurant. They're not a vegetarian restaurant. Like go to the yeah. vegetarian place. Like I can't serve you best. Go to somebody else. And I think yeah. a good salesperson does that. They'll say, you know what? I don't think we're the good customer. I I don't think we're the place for you. I would call this guy or this girl or this company. We're not the one to help you. And a great salesperson, even above average salesperson will do that because you don't, 
you don't make money in sales selling something once and like, oh, I made the sale and I'm out. You make the money where like they go and they like it and they buy again and they buy again and their kids come or their partners come. And mm-hmm. like, you know, and then they, they, they're 10 years later, they're still a customer and like their kids are customers and then like their cousins are customers. Then their best friend who doesn't like their version of what you sell, they go, oh, you got to use my dad's guy. And they, and next thing you know, you have seven people from that family buying from you by word of mouth with basically no advertising, just word of mouth advertising. Cause when they think of that little product or that line of travel in their life, they're like, that person got me. I like the deal. Mm-hmm. It's valuable. It works. It's a good price. It's fair. He or she's a good dude. And you know what? They make it easy and they're helpful. So I go to them and I bring anyone who asks me, I go, you got to go to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and that's sales. I mean, that, that, that's right. sales at, at the highest level, or at least at the best level. Yeah. yeah. So I would say one thing that often comes up in the work that I do that I think probably has a parallel in terms of your work is yes, you need to have the solution, right? It needs to be a match. Otherwise you just have to call it and go your mm-hmm. separate ways. Yeah. However, I would say two kind of little exceptions to that is when people don't realize there's a solution yep. that's going to work. Oh yeah. Right? Or they believe there's a solution, but it, it wouldn't work for them. Doesn't apply so, to them. So just to kind of give you a bit more background, that happens constantly in my work Mm -hmm. because most teens, most people, I would say, have tried to do things to help themselves sleep before and either because they haven't gone about things in the right way or the right order, you know, in the context of the fact that our world is really not set up for good sleep, a lot of people will have the experience of trying to do certain things and they don't work. And so what then develops is this belief that there is nothing that's going to work or that they're just bad sleepers. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is also that work of having to not just establish that it's a fit, that they have a problem and you have a solution for them, but also helping them understand and seeing that there is a solution that will work for them and also that they're able. And that's probably where a lot of the cheerleading I think probably comes in and what makes yeah. you, you know a good salesperson. But I'm curious, can you speak to that? Like, how do you approach that? What frameworks do you use? What, you know, how do you approach that when you actually know you have the solution for them, but they just don't see it yet? Yeah. So they either don't realize they have a problem, that particular person, they don't think it's a problem, or they think that they have the problem, but it's unfixable, or they think at least your version of the fix doesn't work, right? One of those two I, options. Yeah. I guess there's almost three levels to it. I forgot about that. They don't, number one, they don't see the problem. Number yep. two, they don't think there's a solution. Yep. Or number three, they believe that there's a solution. They know they have a problem. They believe that there's a solution, but they don't think that they're capable of engaging yep. and benefiting from that solution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that's that is hard. That's hard work. So that's where there's salespeople and there's professional salespeople. Just say, all right, what makes it would just be some questions like what makes you think that you can't cut back smoking? Please tell my grandfather smoked, my mom smoked, my dad smoked, my brother smoked, I smoked, we just smoke. That's what we do. If you could go from three packs to two packs, would you? Could you see the benefit there? Right? If we, How many cigarettes do you smoke a day? I smoke 60 cigarettes a day. Could you smoke 50 a day? Right? You're just selling them on like, there is a way. So maybe convince them there's a, there's a very slow, methodical way to do this. And then if they don't agree to your methodology. I know there's a problem. I know I can beat it, but I don't like the way you're doing it. It would be like, all right, how about we try this? 
How about give me a month? Let's work together for a little bit, not be a full commitment, a little micro experiment to see what work we can do together. And we'll take it from there. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. So you just want them to take that first step with you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so interesting, the parallels, because that that is what has taken me a while to figure out in my work. But it's all about showing people that there is a path that they can engage with that's realistic, that is meeting them where they're at. And I do often do exactly what you just said in terms of a trial. If ultimately people are still ambivalent and, you know, I'll never I'll never do this if people really aren't interested. But I do often talk about the two week experiment. Okay. You know, yeah. What about what about just trying for two weeks? And if ultimately it's actually not what you want, then then after two weeks, then you go back to what you're currently doing with your sleep. But it's the yeah. same idea, right? Just give it a try yeah. because you don't actually. It's like with my kids, right? When yeah. they before they drive food, you just don't know if you're going to like it until you try it. And so yeah. taking that type it, of approach. Can you talk a little bit more about when to quit? And, and this, we'll just keep bringing Seth up. Seth's book, The Dip, is the first time yeah. I've like professionally read that. I think the book's like 90 pages. It's like winners quit all the time. They just quit the wrong things that they're doing so they can focus on the right things, right? Yeah. At some point, you have to realize you did something for a while. If it no longer fits you, the most successful people quit what doesn't work and moves on to something that does work. Like martial arts. I took karate for 15 years and I was a second degree black belt in karate. And I ran into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And within like a few hours, I'm like, this is what I should be doing. Mm. This is for me way more effective. It's just, it's just like, wow, where... Where has this been my whole life? How come no one told me about it? And so literally, I switched my black belt in for a white belt. I just went from leading a class to being a, like the, the, the lowest student in an academy. And then like, you know, started the journey again, 15 years later. In karate, uh, I think in 97, I became right. a black belt. Okay. And, uh, and then right around roughly 98, 99, found, found jujitsu. It took, you know, with kids and taking some time off, it took to last summer to get it. That's right. pretty crazy. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And sometimes you got to quit something good for something better. Right. And, it, and I think that's the self-awareness factor too, is now you got to figure out what you want to do, what you want to be, what you want to become, what does the next, not the next five years, but like eventually who do you want to be? And if something doesn't serve that, it's nothing wrong with quitting that and moving on. It's, I think it takes courage. It takes self-awareness. It takes guts, resilience. And I think it's one of the ultimate acts of self-leadership, knowing what to quit, when to walk away, and when to start something else. Because mm-hmm. we only, we're all limited in time, money, and energy, right? We only, yeah. everyone's money's limited. Their energy's limited, their time's limited, especially time. Nothing's more limited than time. And if you can't give yourself, you can't say, I'm going to play the piano and I'm going to take yoga and I'm going to learn how to garden and I'm going to do jujitsu and I'm going to, I'm going to sketch and you know what I mean? I'm going to be a blogger and a podcaster. One, you'd have a nervous breakdown, but two, you do them all really bad. You'd be a really yeah. crappy one of each because you're just so scattered. So like, you got to figure out where your focus is, go all in on what one, two, three strengths at the most. And then level up there, but to be everywhere and not to let something go. Seth always says, at some point, you don't walk around with a tutu at 40 years old because you gave up ballet when you were nine. At some point, you gave up your garage band because you had to go to college and become a lawyer or something like that. Not everything you ever done, you keep doing indefinitely. You right. know, 
Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've already described this in a few different ways, right? You talked about how you were an accountant and then you pivoted towards sales and then how you were doing karate and then you pivoted towards resilient jiu-jitsu. And so I would love to ask two things. One, how do you make those decisions? What you're talking about is essentialism, right? Like what are the most important things and choosing to devote yeah. your limited time, energy, bandwidth to those things? Cause that's how you, that's how you become great at things, or that's how you go much farther when you just choose the choose those few essential things. What's your decision making around like why did you know very quickly that Brazilian jiu-jitsu was worth it for you to go from a black belt to a white belt? Why did you make that pivot into sales? Because it's very hard to do that, right? It's one thing to make the decision. It's very difficult to keep on doing that every day when probably there's going to be ego involved, right? Like I'm sure going back to being a white belt, you know, you probably had moments where you felt silly or questioned why on earth did I do this when I had already achieved such a high level in karate. So tell me a bit more about that. What's your decision-making in terms of what is essential for you? What are the things that you're going to persist with? And how do you continue to persist when there are all these other things that probably want to drag you back to what you were doing before? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a psychiatrist question. That's a, great... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a really good one. No, I, I guess me personally, it has to interest me and then it has to scare me. And I like to see the people that are doing it well, that are 10 years ahead of me. And I'm like, well, would I want to be that person? Not like that person, but doing that skill level in 10 years. I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. So I'll give it a shot. I always thought I was not creative. And then I had all these people that I followed, like Seth, this guy, Jeffrey Gittimer, who's like this, probably one of the best sales authors I know of. And then I would always read the Wall Street Journal. And there's a writer, Peggy Noonan who I just love. I think she was a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan way back in the day. And she, Peggy would write this article once a week and you'd put it down. And it was like, wow, that made me think. Like she challenged what you thought, what you believed. She'd write something about a, a historical event you thought you knew everything about. And you'd put the paper down like, man, I wish I could do that. And like, so and I'm like, wow, I want to get, and I saw that and I'm like, all of a sudden blogging came about. And I'm like, wow, I could be like a, a poor man's Peggy Noonan. I could send something out once a week have a, I never think I'm going to be famous or get do it for money, but I can get my thoughts down, send it out there. That scared me. What would I write about? I, I, I don't even know how to do it. Like, how would you hit a button? How would I publish it? Like, how would it even get on the internet? And you start doing research. There's a WordPress and then there's WordPress and with a mailing list. And then you could publish it to Facebook. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Then all of a sudden you're growing. You're like, wow, my tech skills are growing. Right. My fear is still there. I, and I got to learn how to write. Then I, then maybe I took a writing course. Anyway, long story short, does it interest me? Does it scare me? Do I want to be that type of person in that little skill set 10 years from now? If it's yes, I'll give it a shot. Did a blog, maybe got two, 300 articles up, like on LinkedIn, Facebook. I have like a personal website. Nothing great. Maybe there's 20 of them I'm really proud of, of the 200. But then I was doing that and I'm like, wow, podcasting caught my attention. So like the Joe Rogans of the world, Tim Ferriss, you know, like how I built it. This amazing podcast. Wow, I would love to do that, but I would I don't know how to do that. And then all of a sudden we're in COVID and I saw Seth advertise the podcasting workshop with Alex De Palma. And that scared me because right then I knew I had no more reason not to do it. Before I could just say, I don't know how to do that. And I was off the hook. 
I no longer have an excuse. Like I've been thinking about podcasting for years, not thinking I'm going to be famous or any a bunch of people are going to listen to me, but like, what would I podcast on? Just, it's not like Jim Rohn. Are you familiar with Jim Rohn? Mm-hmm. He's, Jim Rohn say, you don't do it for what it gets you. You do it for what you become. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, if I could learn how to podcast, it would help me in my career. Cause I, it, it would one, like I'd learn how to ask questions better, listen better. Right. And then hopefully I'd interview some interesting people. Even if I just interviewed the people I knew, like locally, they could tell me a story that they may not tell anyone else and have the ability to have like these deep, long conversations with people that are very interesting that I think it's such a cool platform. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And you know, you just did the first one. It was so scary, right? The person comes on the screen. Mm-hmm. You're like, what do we talk about? How long should it be? Who the heck's going to listen to this? Probably nobody. All that stuff's in your head. And then like, all right, you get the first one. Like you said, just take the next step. Then you post it, you edit it. Then like, all right, I'm going to interview the next person. And then next thing you know, you're on episode 97. And I look at my bookshelf of the books I read growing up. Mm -hmm. And there's five of those people that were on my show. There's no reason they should be on my show. There's five of them. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you reached out to them and you convinced them to give you an hour of their time. I mean, some of those people charge like 40 grand. If you said, hey, come to IBM and give a keynote speech at our sales meeting, they would charge you 40 grand. They're on your podcast for free, talking, giving an hour Q&A one-on-one. It's an amazing piece of technology. It still scares me every time I hit the record button. It's an amazing growth opportunity. So it's not what you will get, it's who you become. And I think after each podcast, I think I'm a little bit better listener, a little bit better person, a little bit more rounded, a more well-rounded human being for hearing someone's story that maybe I not 100% agree with, but they make me think of things in a different perspective and open my mind a little bit, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I can relate to so much of that. And now I'm curious to know who are the five? Uh, We had Derek Sivers, we had Seth Godin, we had Jeffrey Gittimer. And if you're in sales, you know who Jeffrey Gittimer is. Andrew Sobel who wrote this book, Power Questions. It's one of the greatest books of asking questions. I had him come on, took about a year to get him on, got him on. Uh, And I actually had this one guy, Michael Lombardi. He's a former NFL GM, won three Super Bowls here in the United States. Uh, He actually worked with the New England Patriots, was the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. He wrote a book called The Gridiron Genius. And it just talks about leadership lessons from the gridiron into everyday life. I had a US Navy Admiral, that ran a couple of years ago in Japan, a nuclear reactor for the tsunami exploded or had some malfunction. He was the admiral in charge of the medical response to it. We talked about that. And I'm like, here I am talking to a two-star admiral about the Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan after the tsunami, how the United States dealt with it. It blew me away. Like I'm in that conversation, like stepping back. I'm like, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with someone who was at that level at that time. It was pretty cool. And yeah. it's just, you know, it's humbling and uh, it makes you prepare. It just makes you better. I think it makes you a better human being to do stuff like this, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I agree. I, I want to ask a bit more about your experience podcasting, but you know, it's interesting how you use fear as a signal to you that it's something you should do or that it's something mm-hmm. that's really important to you because most mm-hmm. people don't have that response to fear right? The the typical reaction to fear would be avoidance, but you have the opposite yeah. reaction. And yeah. going back to that question I asked before, like, how do you make these decisions about where you're going to invest your limited time and energy? 
I I use this concept called the big three. So okay. essentially your big three values, how you're wanting to live your life and who you're wanting to be as a person. And I think it's very clear throughout our conversation that for you, you can let me know if I'm right, but one of your big three is growth. And you're oh, always geez. trying to grow. You're always trying to push yourself. And I mean, the name of your podcast is Built Not Born, right? Yeah. It's it's so true. Does that, uh, so true. Does that, do I have that right? Like, is that one of your big three? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I love freedom, growth, freedom, like respect. Not respect for me, like respect all. Like respect, give everyone their respect, no judgment, that everyone live the life they want to live. You know what I mean? But just try to live, like, like, there's a scene in A Bronx Tale with Robert De Niro. Did you ever see the movie, A Bronx no, Tale? No. Charles Bonneterre. So at the end, the, the, the one of the messages, there's nothing worse in life than wasted talent. And that's it. You know, we all have our own little special talent, little special potential. I don't want to look back and say, wow, I could have been this. I could have been that. Because regret is way worse than failure. Like looking back, I so regret the things I didn't try than the things I tried and just fell on my face for. At mm-hmm. the time, it seems the other way. Like it's safe not to try something, but I'm not going to do that. But the, like, it, it, like I look back and the, the regret, the regret weighs so much heavier. It's I'd rather try and fail than not try, if that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So this idea of the big three, I think I, I really like to use it when I work with others, but I also use it for myself because life is very complicated. You know, I think we can kind of look back on certain things and it it's clear, but when you're in it, it's very difficult making these decisions as to, you know, do I pivot in my career or do I go to Brazilian jiu-jitsu when I've been doing karate? So this concept of the big three, I've found to be very helpful personally, but also for people that I work with is it's a shorthand right? Whenever faced with it, with any kind of complicated decision, you can just run through those three things in your mind. Like, does this fit with what matters most to me? Does it help me grow? Does it align with the importance of freedom and the importance of respect in my life? And anyway, I found that to amazing, be an amazing helpful. filter. That three is an amazing filter. Like you, you, you could filter your decisions through that. And if they pass those three, that's a pretty good shot. That's a pretty good idea for you to try. And and I love like the Tim Ferriss idea. Like it's an experiment. Like, like when I tried the podcast, like I'm like, I'm not going to do this. Like I didn't do it. Say I'm going to do this to the day I die. Like I'm going to try this and I'm going to put like the first five out. I'm going to go right. to five, no matter what I'm doing five and I'll reassess there. Right? right. And then, and then, then, you know, I just got some traction and, and I'm going and I'm going straight through to a hundred I'll take a step back. So you know, you've now done a hundred interviews, maybe more. And what I found interesting, I'm, I'm nowhere near that. I think I'm, I think I've done maybe forty at this point. But even with just doing forty, I find that there are certain themes that just come up over and over again. Certain things that have been such key lessons for me. So I'm curious for you, what are the top three lessons or themes that have come up in your hundred episodes? That is such a great question. One is, I think we talked about fear, like the fear, everything from being the first physician to go to medical school in your family, to playing in the Super Bowl, to publishing your first book, or I had someone that was a special forces operator in Vietnam. The fear is always going to be there. They're scared. They just learned to dance with it. They just like, all right, the fear's here. I recognize it. It's just not stopping me from doing what I need to do. 
I know it's there. It doesn't get to the point where you just fall down and, and, and you say you take no action. This scares me. I, I recognize that this is an, an ideal situation or, or there's some fear that might be real or perceived in my head. I'm going to move anyway. So one is fear is always going to be there. You have to dance with it and move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's one. Second one I think I learned is not everyone believes what you believe and not everyone wants what you want and not everyone thinks the way you think. I had family members I'm close to never listen to my podcast. Like they they don't listen to podcasts. So you just, at first I would tease them about it, but you let it go. Like, you know what? You're, they're not in the podcasts. They're not into it no matter who I have on, they're not going to listen. So you just step back and you just respect them and say, hey, this isn't for them. You know what I mean? You have to have mm-hmm. the courage to say, this isn't for you. Like you said, what customer are you trying to serve? So I have someone in my, someone who's close to me listened to one podcast ever. And it was like a 45 minutes long. I go, what you think? And they go, it was too long. Mm-hmm. It was too yeah. long. Go, yeah, you guys talk too long. Should have been shorter. I go, appreciate you. They never listened again. I'm like, you know what? This isn't for you. That was like my one-star review from someone who bought a book on gardening that doesn't like to garden. And they read the book and like, I hate gardening. One star, you see it on Amazon. Like, why'd you buy the book? That book's not for you, right? So so anyway, so not everyone believes what you believe. That's the second one. The third one is, I think you mentioned this earlier, you got to keep going. There's going to be failure. To think that you're going to succeed in everything you do and everything's going to be fun. Like, I guess it is, the lesson is progress is not linear. You're going to take three steps. You're going to fall down. You're going to get embarrassed. Then you're going to have the best day ever, or you're going to have a great week. And like, this is like, I'm killing life. And then life's going to knock you down. Like you can't believe for a week. And you got to just take it, brush it off, take a deep breath, step back, learn the lesson to move forward. So it's Mm -hmm. like the fear, fear is always going to be there. Not everyone thinks the way you think you got to respect that. And then know that life's going to knock you down and progress is not linear. I guess that would be the three lessons I learned. Hopefully mm-hmm. that helps. Yeah. And that is completely aligned with what I know of you and everything we've talked about in this podcast. Episode. <laughs> so the last question that I'm always asking people is if there is a two minute step that you would like listeners to take. And the reason why I like the two minute rule, actually, you and I have talked about this when you had me on your podcast, but it's always the first step is always the hardest. And so we need to break it down to something that is very digestible and very doable. So what would you recommend as a two-minute action step that listeners can take right now after the podcast episode? So I would ask that person, because I so believe everyone everyone wants different things in the world. Everyone's version of life, of successful life is different. You got to respect that. I would ask them five years from now, what would you wish you started today? Hmm. Maybe you wanted to play the piano. Maybe you want to take jujitsu. Maybe you want to have a blog, you want to have a podcast, you want to record a song, whatever it is, you want to have a garden. Where do you wish five years from now, five years from now, where do you want your wife life to look at grow? Like I want to be a, I want to be good at jujitsu. So I would say the first step is go Google Brazilian jujitsu schools in your area. Or if you want to be, have a podcast, Google podcasting course, take the next step, the basic micro step, figure out how to learn how to podcast. Figure out where the closest Brazilian jiu-jitsu school is. If you want to learn to play the saxophone, Google saxophone lessons near me. Take that first step, then have the courage to look bad. Have the courage to be foolish. Like have that white belt where you make the where you go and you you don't be afraid of bad writing. Don't be afraid to go in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu mat and be the worst person on the mat, right? Because there's nothing for but growth from there. So don't be afraid to look foolish. Figure out what you want to be. 
find the the next find the first micro step you can take and take that step and don't worry about looking foolish and i think your life will be in an amazing spot you won't believe where your life is five years from now if you do that yeah yeah that's a real lesson i've had to learn being willing to the way i say it in my head is being willing to suck just willing to yeah. not be that good yeah be willing to own, suck. Yeah. yeah you have to have the ability to put 500 words on the page that are god awful like it's so bad but then maybe that 500th word that sentence is magic you delete everything above that and then you're off to the races you mm-hmm. got those 500 bad words out of your system and then all of a sudden you got the next 500 like well that's a viable article that i could post online so be don't be afraid to suck and look foolish knowing that it's going to be your best friend down the road yeah yeah and i'll just add a little bit to that one thing that is interesting about podcasting is that you can edit Oh, yes. Right. So so actually, I think that that was a nice stepping stone for me, because that allowed the practice of doing stuff that was not that good, maybe asking questions in a way, even in today's episode, you've heard me ask a question, be like, no, 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 I want to say that differently. Right. And I can do that in podcasting, because I can just cut that out. And so I think for those of us, maybe you're less like this, I think, is my sense. But those of us who are very attached to the idea of perfectionism and needing things packaged in a certain way and not liking to be not liking to be vulnerable or looking as if we're not good at things, which has always been, I've always been like that since I was a kid. Yeah. Many people are like that. There are intermediate steps that you can take. So podcasting is scary for me, less scary though, because I can edit it. What is more scary for me is doing things live because I cannot edit out the things that I'm not happy about that I said. So truly, I even gave myself, well, I am not a perfectionist. I'm kind of more of a, like a big picture thinker, but I, even my, I found myself doing my intro. There was one night I did it like seven times and I was there for like oh, 25 minutes do, do, doing, doing like a minute intro. It, it's I literally 20 times the intro. I, I was a half hour into it. I'm still doing it for the seventh, eighth, 10th time. And I'm like, I don't, I don't say I don't have time, but like, this is not a great use of my time to do an intro for a half hour, that's going to be a minute. So I have a rule now, I can do it twice. So Mm -hmm. like I write it out, like I just don't go cold. I sketch it out. I have the words and phrases I want to use and I say it, then I say it again. And then that's all I got. I I, I know that like I'm going live after the second, I'll say it twice and I'll use the editing software just to put it together to make it, I'll use my my best version of each one, but no more than twice. Like I know my perfectionism, even though I don't think I'm a perfectionist, my perfectionism, if I have one, will start coming out and I'll do that for an hour and a half and I'll miss my kids going to bed because I'm right. doing an intro for 40 minutes, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, you have to give yourself those constraints. It's scary knowing that like, all right, that's a self-constraint, but I got to do that to bring my best work into the world. For sure. Absolutely. Constraints are good. So Joe, any final parting words before we finish out for today? First, thank you for having me. It's so great. Some of the best parts of podcasting is you get to connect with people you would have never met. And so just so fortunate to run into you during that cohort with Seth and Alex. And uh, you stood out right away, just your thoughts. And I remember you're always on the discussion board and we kind of connected and we kind of stayed in touch. And I learned so much from you. Thank you for being on my show twice. And I, I still get people saying, I heard the sleep doctor. I heard the sleep doctor. <laughs> I probably have emailed or texted your link as much as anyone's because so many people have trouble sleeping. So I appreciate you coming on. And anyone, everyone out there, just keep going. Just don't be afraid to suck and don't be afraid to take the next step. And I I think you'll be in a good spot a couple of years down the road.
Amazing. I summed up perfectly. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. I will, I'll be in touch. Okay. Keep in touch. Great to see you. Thank you. Great to see you too. See you Take time. care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Decode Project podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss a future episode and help me spread the word by sharing it with a friend. Learn more about the Decode Insomnia program by visiting decodeinsomnia.com. Take care. Hey, it's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could leave a rating on your favorite podcast listening app, it goes a long way of connecting the podcast with the bigger audience. If you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Talk soon.